Hi, I'm Kat, and tonight I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse 7. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I'm so happy to be able to be here tonight, to be able to speak tonight, because I got a COVID test this last day and I got a result at four o'clock today, which gave me the freedom to be here tonight. And if you hear my voice sounding a bit croaky, please don't be distracted, because it's a reminder that I'm only human as we begin this series about what it means to be human. See, I was uh, listening to this speech that the actor Jim Carrey made when uh, he was giving out the Golden Globe Award, and this is what he said. Excuse me while I clear my throat. Hang on. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey said, you know when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe-winning actor, Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search 
But what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. It fully captures the tension of our self-esteem. On one hand, we strive to be Golden Globe Award winners. And we feel on top of the world, but it's a matter of perspective because if you go out of space and you look at this planet, you can't even see human people, let alone your own individual self. We are both huge and pathetically small at the same time, and it does our head in. Sometimes we think too much of ourselves and we become proud. Other times we think too little of ourselves and we become insecure. Sometimes we've got a really clear purpose in life and we're really driven towards that third golden globe. Other times we feel aimless when we are retrenched or made redundant, when we lose someone that we love and we lose our sense of purpose. Our identity and our value and our sense of self keeps shifting and changing. Who am I? What is my value? What is my purpose? What am I? And what am I here for? And what do I want to teach the next generation? And what do I want to pass down to the next generation about their self-worth and their identity? Well, this is a five-part series about what it is to be human. Over the next three weeks, we're looking at what am I and what am I here for? And it's a theological series. It's not a biological series. It's not a philosophical series. Because it's about understanding ourselves from God's perspective. We're not asking, what am I? We're asking, what does God say that I am? Because if I wandered the street these days and I asked people what it is to be human, I'd get as many different views as there are people. We're all having debates about sexual identity and racial identity and we're redefining our national identity and it's forcing each of us to ask questions about our sense of self. So this is a series, not about what I am, but about what God says that I am. And my outline today is based on the ancient Greek saying, know thyself. Know thyself. I'm going to make three points flowing out of Genesis 1. Know thy humility. Know thy glory. Know thy Lord. So let's start with know thy humility. Genesis 1 is the theological account of origins. It's not a biological textbook. And it's not a philosophical essay. It's a theological account of origins. And the emphasis is on God. And how God takes chaos and turns it into purpose. That he takes disorder and turns it into meaning. That he takes what's written there in Genesis 1 that is formless and empty and he gives it direction. And the Bible often looks back on this first chapter of the Bible for our sense of purpose and direction in life. Because it's the chapter where God takes dust and gives it life and he takes disorder and gives it meaning. And today's reading that we had starts with the sixth day, the day that 
God made the land and the animals. Verse 25 picks it up. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So there is the creation of mankind alongside and on the same day as the creation of the land creatures in one way representing our lowliness that we are just creatures we are not gods we are just like the land animals it is God who gave us life he breathed into our lungs and he awakened our soul we are less than God we are beneath God we are under God who is the creator and we are his creation we are not gods We are made along with the beasts of the field. And we read later that we are made from dust. We are made out of lifeless particles, inanimate objects. And so the point, first point, know thy humility. Know thy humility. And you know your humility when you look at earth from out of space, like Jim Carrey said. But you feel your humility most when you're making mistakes. When you, when you really mess it up, that's when you feel what it is to be human. The other day I had a dream where I was preaching at a funeral. It was my worst nightmare because I got up and I went to preach at this funeral. And I stood up and I realized that I hadn't prepared anything. And I didn't have any notes in front of me. Isn't that your worst nightmare? To be speaking to a room without, not, without knowing what you're about to say. The only thing worse would be public speaking with no notes and no clothes on. But thankfully, I was well-dressed in this particular dream. And I fumbled around feeling embarrassed and saying whatever Bible verses came to mind. And people just kept walking out, shaking their heads. Now, that's when you feel so low about yourself. That's when you feel like you are dirt or dust or just an animal. Your weakness makes you feel like Nothing. Your weakness makes you feel like less than nothing. But this is where the saying, I'm only human, comes from. We call them human errors. We recognize our limitations. And it's okay to make mistakes because we are not gods. To be human is to fumble. And it's okay to fumble through the challenges of human life. And that means that if you lose your job or your partner or your health, it doesn't make you less human. You are human, regardless of your performance. And a person in a wheelchair who needs full-time care is just as human as an elite athlete who is performing at their peak. Because we are not gods, we are human. And we rely on God. We turn to God because we are not gods. We pray because he is in control and we are not in control. We turn and we cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. That's the way it's designed. This is the way we're designed to be. We're designed as humans to rely on God as we fumble through life, which is so liberating. It's so liberating when you feel like you're not great in the eyes of others or compared to another as you test yourselves by high standards about what you think you ought to be in your perfectionist tendencies. You don't need to be so hard on yourself when your performance fails because you need to come to terms with your finitude that you are a created being. You are designed to be a creature, a creature who performs menial activities and doesn't feel bad like you're wasting your life 
as you fumble through menial activities depending on God for your breath. Know thy humility. Know thy humility. Now, of course, all of this is an excuse for you to be animalistic and to be brute beasts that treat people as animals. Because God made us to be more than animals, which brings us to the second point theologically, and that is, know thy glory. Know thy glory. So this is uh, verse 26 on. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. No other creature is described in this way. There's that kind of creature and that kind of creature and then there's this kind of creature, but none of them are described in the same way as the human being who is made in the image of God. And that differentiates us from the rest of creation. And the biblical account of origins reaches a crescendo. As God takes all the disorder and chaos and brings order, it reaches a crescendo and a climax through the creation of humankind. And on the sixth day, as it finishes, as God finishes making humankind, it says it is very good because we are made in the image of God and set out to do God's work. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Really important question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And I'm sure many of you have thought about this before or been taught about this before or maybe taught others about this. What have you said that it means to be made in the image of God? Now, I suspect we may say some different things from each other because, in a sense, this phrase is deliberately ambiguous. It's meant to carry more weight than the context allows, even though the context gives you some really important clues. But I reckon that we skip over the most obvious too readily. The most obvious and important sense in which we are made in the image of God is very clearly emphasized after the so that. Let's read along again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So to be made in the image of God involves ruling. It's to be like God, the ruler of the world, and to be delegated that responsibility to be in charge, just as God's in charge of the entire universe. So he's put, in char put us in charge of this world, including all the living creatures, and he's given us, as it goes on to talk about, all the food, the, the plants for food, and we're responsible and in charge with God-like authority to reign over this creation. So reflecting on this, the psalmist says with great joy, What is mankind, Lord, that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers 
over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. The psalmist is reflecting on the glory of what it means to be human by the kindness of God. He bestows this on us regardless of race or sex or capability. We are made in the image of God to fill the earth and to subdue it, subdue it by which he talks about extending out and taking care. We are rulers over God's works and the works of his hand and we are crowned with that glory and that honour. But it's so easy to abuse authority. You know the saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We're somehow destroying our planet at the same time that we're at war with each other and destroying each other. It's not the way that it's meant to be, but our capacity for power is a symbol of the way we are created, that God made us for authority and power, and it is a God-given power not to be abused. The authority we've been given is designed to be exercised with the same mind and heart as God himself. We are to rule in the image of God. When it says rule in the image of God, it means that our character is meant to reflect his character and our purpose is meant to reflect his purpose. We are to have his heart and his mind in the way that we rule because this is delegated authority, not unbridled authority. It's the difference between the zookeeper and the zoo owner. Here's a picture of a zookeeper. The zookeeper comes out each day, you know, about 8 o'clock in the morning. They come out, they come to the zoo, they know their enclosure. They go to their enclosures, they find the animals that they're responsible for and they take care, they ensure that they're fed, they look after the animals. They have a role description and a start time and a finish time and they come and they love what they do because they've been trained, they've done the certified training, they're competent, they're authorised, they've got the authority and they love the animals. That's the zookeeper. But the zoo wasn't their idea. They didn't find the plot of land and establish and lobby for this patch of grass. They didn't find the funds and set up the financial trust or create the management structure. They were hired. They inherited this particular role. And they were given delegated authority from the owners and the managers who give the zoo a vision. It's the difference between the zookeeper and the zoo owner. And this is a lesson for us as we think of our authority in this world, is that it's always under God. It's always in reference to the owner. He is the owner, and he has given us ownership, and he has given us authority under him as the keepers. We are designed to lead his creation with his vision and his job description, his purposes in mind, with his heart and his mind. And this is really what it means, in essence, to be in the image of God. It's to fill the earth and subdue it with the same heart and the same mind as God. And that's how we're different to all the other land creatures, because we have been made in the image of God. So know thy glory. And don't let anyone look down on you, pretending that you are dirt or that you are merely a creature. You are the image and glory of God. And it is good to be human. It's so good to have the privilege under God 
of having this glory to be told to fill the earth and subdue it to own property or at least rent by someone who owns that property, to have a family or to share in the community of those who do. And it's a great responsibility to take care of the earth, to be collectively intelligent enough to do the scientific exploration and to study the biology of things to allow us to be able to take care of gardens and parks, even though they produce weeds, we can bring it under order and to look after animals even in their disease because we are the image and glory of God. So know thy glory and look at yourself and realize that this little patch of dirt has been taken and given breath and life and made in the image of God. You are more than dirt. Enjoy thy glory. But it's so easy to abuse, isn't it? It's easy to abuse our power and to exercise our authority for selfish gain, which brings us to the final point. And that is, know thy Lord. This is a really important point to finish on. Because what we're saying is that you can't actually fulfill God's purpose for your life unless you know the wishes of the zoo owner. You can't rule in the image of God unless you know the heart and the mind of God. And what that ultimately means, and this is a real punchline for the series, is you can't know thyself unless you know thy Lord. You can't be what you were made to be unless you know the Lord's will and purpose for you, which is the major pursuit of every Christian. We want to know the Lord. We pursue the knowledge of God. How can I know the Lord? How can I see the Lord? What, who is this Lord? The answer to the question and the, is, is to find the Lord in the way that he makes himself known. And that is through the good news of Jesus Christ because he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 The Son is the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know God, look at Jesus. He is the man who truly reflects God in his intent and purpose and is fully in the likeness of God. As P.T. O'Brien says, being fully God and fully human, the very nature and character of God have been perfectly revealed in him, in the invisible, in him the invisible has become visible. So when you look at Jesus, you see the Lord himself. He is the perfect image of God. And when you look at Jesus closely, you see he is a Lord who washes feet. He is a Lord who takes his authority and embraces humility. He takes his power and he exercises it for great good. He came and did what we failed to do. He didn't abuse his power. He didn't serve with pride. He reigned in glory and served in humility. And in, in one sense, you say Jesus does what we failed to do. He, he, in one sense, he replaces our failure because we failed, but he succeeds. He's the human who succeeds in our place by doing God's will perfectly. And we're going to hear more about this, especially in the final week of the series, 
He did God's will perfectly. He's ascended to the right hand of God. He's been put in charge of the world, not just this world, but the world to come. And so in one sense, he has done what we failed to do. But in another way, he actually includes us. And this is the great news. We can be saved through Jesus and come back to God and learn afresh what it means to be in the image of God. He invites us to share with him in his rule. And that's what we're doing in church. This is what we do. We come together to learn God's will so that we could join with Christ and return to the image of God. And that involves godliness. That involves godly rule. This is what we're working on as we are being renewed in the image of God. The Apostle Paul says this, Now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We are being renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator as we join with Christ to rule in the image of God. So there you go. That was pretty theological, wasn't it? We're getting pretty deep here, very theological. Let's cut to the chase. I'm going to land this in something real practical. You're a human, right? You're watching this. You're a human, right? Any dogs watching? Probably a couple of dogs watching. Uh, but that just highlights the point. They have no idea what I'm talking about. And hopefully as a human, you do have an idea of what I'm talking about. You're a human, right? Well, we're coming full circle back to where we began with you know, Jim Carrey making that Golden Globe speech where he captures the tension of our self-esteem as we strive to get that extra Golden Globe on this planet that you can't even see from out of this solar system. So what's the go? Well, it's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective. You're a human. And if you blow up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any human history with the naked eye. But from God's perspective, this is huge. You're a human. You're made in the image of God. And that's how it all comes together. It's all a matter of perspective, not my perspective, her perspective, his perspective, but God's perspective who brings it together and says, yes, you're a creature, but you are valuable. You're made in the image of God. It's easy for you to feel insecure and to stand here and feel like you are hopeless, like dirt. It's easy for you to come over here and feel proud and think too highly of yourself. But God says neither of those extremes are actually what it means to be human or to walk in the image of God. What it means to walk in the image of God is to know thy humility. You're a creature. To know thy glory, that you're in the image of God. To not doubt yourself. To not let anyone mistreat you. Don't let anyone turn you into an idol as though you are great and ought to be worshipped. Don't let anyone turn you into dirt and you know, feel pity on yourself as though you are the scum of the earth because God has made you to be more. There's a lot of opinions out there. Don't be thrown by all the opinions. There's one opinion that counts, and that's the opinion of your creator. And the high point of his creation, at the very end and pinnacle after he created humankind and rested, was the day seven when he took rest from all the reigning and ruling and he rested from all the creating that he'd done. 
And he calls us to reflect and to rest and to stop and to look upward to him, to the God who made us, and to recognize our creatureliness. And on that day, that's when we see where glory truly comes from. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. We deflect all pride to the Lord. We deflect all insecurity back to the value he gives us. But in the end, we rest and we look up and we give glory to God because he is the creator and we are his creatures. It's good to be human, but it's best to be a human that knows thy Lord. May we praise him. He is majestic. In a minute, we're going to have a time where you can send in a few questions. And uh, after that, I'll have a go at exploring a few of them briefly. But as uh, we throw to that, I wanted to finish by praying. Would you please join me? Our Lord in heaven, we come very humbly and we're so grateful that you would give us the honor of being made in your image. Teach us what it is to rule with your character. And uh, we just turn again as creatures, remembering how small we are. But we thank you for our sense of value. Help us to see things with your perspective and to truly know you so that we might live according to our purpose and give you all the praise. Amen. On the screen now you'll see an opportunity for where you can send in questions and we'll come together in a minute. All right, welcome back, Elliot, and welcome back, everyone, for some questions. Uh, lots of great questions have been coming in. Uh, one of the questions I'm not going to ask you is, do you want a strepsil? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so I sometimes have some in my bag, but sadly, oh, really? I yeah. have none. But I had my last someone... one today, but I couldn't go to the shops and get another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, thanks so much for preaching tonight, brother. Uh, let's start at the top. Uh, question from Meg. Is our call today to fill the earth and subdue it, or does that change post-Jesus? Uh, should we all be going out and having kids? Yeah, we, we'll look at this over the series because there's going to be some layers to this. Um, certainly we've started with Genesis 1, which is pre-Christ. And in that context, for, to fill the earth and subdue it, this is even pre-Genesis 3 where everything gets mucked up. So what I want to say is that the scope of what it means to, to do this is actually less significant than the position that it is. I, I find that um, the purpose for which it's explained that we're made in the image of God is really picked up in that Psalm 8 passage that you're made a little lower than the angels in the sense of your rule. But uh, what we're going to go on and see in this series is that through failure, Christ comes and redeems what it is and then we have a new insight into what it means to rule with Christ. And the New Testament focus even uh, lifts us above this creation which is broken and suffering and draws our eyes to the new creation. So it celebrates family, the New Testament. It celebrates protecting the earth. But even above that, it speaks of a day when there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and it calls us to live in light of the future. 
which is guaranteed in Christ. That's a very brief answer. Yeah, but helpful. I think that future perspective is important to keep in mind, isn't it? Uh, okay, uh, I'm thankful for facial recognition with no mask. Uh, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Who is us? Who is our? Is this the Trinity? Yeah, so uh, there's two views. One is that this is a royal kind of statement of, you know, someone very high. It's, it's, it's in other religions, including in Islam, to talk about the royal plural, the idea being, you know, uh, the great one can speak in the, our language. However, what we see at the beginning of Genesis 1 is that the spirit of God's hovering over the waters, and it's God himself. We think of the Father as the originating cause of creation because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then later in the New Testament, we pick up that all things were made through Jesus. And so the Trinity are all in view and in mind. We speak of God, Jesus being the Word of God, and through the Word, the creation was, was, was made. And so when it says, let us make mankind in our image, uh, we as Christians uh, see in that the relational dimension of God and the beauty of Trinity into eternity and so part of what it means to rule in the image of God is to rule as relational beings, which is why we fill the earth and subdue it. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, last one, unless you answer this really quickly, but uh, how can we best respond to Christians who deny climate change and refuse to care <laughs> for our planet? There's a few yeah. assumptions in that question. Yeah. Uh, how can we best respond to Christians who deny climate change or... You know, and or refuse to care for the planet. All right. Well, you asked me if I was willing to take a climate change question before we started. Now well, I wish I kind of said no, <laughs> because the way this one—I <laughs> could, I could ask way, you another question. You could come well, back to this during the week well, if you wanted. Well, the way the what, this question's been framed kind of puts it in the political sphere. Yeah. I'd like a bit of time to think about it. If that's all right, I'll yeah. answer it tomorrow online. Sermon extra. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Let's finish with this one. Uh, how can we adopt, you spoke about adopting God's heart when we talked about uh, you know, knowing thy glory. That was, that was a great little structure you had for your sermon. But, uh, so how can we best uh, adopt God's heart in our everyday lives? Wasn't it just so powerful, the image of Jesus washing feet? To take the Lord of heaven and earth... Jesus being the Son of God in, in eternity, he, he came into this world and then the day before, he, as he's teaching his disciples what it must be to be a disciple, before he goes to the cross to be crucified, he's willing to stoop down and wash their feet. This is a great image of how to exercise authority and I think it's a helpful one to land on. That to be like Christ is to have that humble, serving, loving posture and we exercise that both towards our fellow you know, neighbour, our human neighbour, love one another. We exercise this in relation to our planet when thinking about you know, the topic of global warming and other things. We seek to love and to serve not just this generation but future generations. Uh, but in the end, the most important thing to have the mind of Christ is to do what he did before he went to the cross. He looked up and prayed to the Lord and he sought the honour of God and submitted to God's will and said, all glory to you, Lord. So this is what it is to have the heart and mind of God. And as we, I guess, finish up today, uh, wouldn't it be great 
if we could be marked as different because we're Christian, because we walk uniquely seeing that we are in the image of God and that we can learn more about what it is to know God in that way. Fantastic. Well, it's a great place for us to finish. Let's uh, sing again. Thanks, Elliot.